So again, I'm so glad uh, that you are here on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, tomorrow. I know many of you will be traveling to special places. Maybe you'll be at home, and that's a special thing. Uh, maybe you have certain traditions that are, that are an important part, and maybe this is one of those traditions, being in service here. Abbots are, are traditions people. Uh, I didn't grow up with a lot of traditions, but uh, over time, we've developed a lot of traditions, and, and I'm just, I just, I love them. Those actually start this evening with, uh, with a strange one. We eat the cheapest frozen pizzas that we can possibly eat, and we dip them in honey mustard. That's what we eat on Christmas Eve night. Uh, I'll get into that another day, but that's our first tradition of Christmas, uh, and, and I just go on from there. But tomorrow morning, uh, those traditions will include probably one that you share as well if you have young kids. My kids will wake up long before they should and get us up out of bed. That's a tradition uh, at the Abbott household on Christmas. Maybe you share that one. And then we'll move uh, into our, our family room and open our stockings, which is a complete misnomer because it's uh, the presents that they get in the stockings. Our kids, it's, it's too much to fit into a stocking, so it's mostly just a pile of presents with a stocking laid over it. Uh, and, they, uh, and my kids and, and, and Abby and I, we, we mess around with those gifts for a little while. And then after what is a surprisingly short amount of time, uh, those gifts are either broken or lost, and then we move toward breakfast. And, uh, and I present to the family my, uh, my Christmas casserole that I create, which I'm far too proud of, uh, but that's kind of my gift to the whole thing, and, uh, and we eat breakfast. And then uh, before we move over to presents, and everyone in my family gets three presents. Jesus got three presents. We're not better than Jesus, so we get three presents as well. Uh, but before we open presents, uh, we, we read the Christmas story together. Part, uh, part of what we just heard Abby read a, a moment ago from Luke chapter 2. Maybe you have a similar tradition. Maybe, uh, maybe you'll read part of the Christmas story uh, in and around Christmas Day. Maybe you've been to church. That's part of your tradition, and so you've heard this story a lot of times. Maybe you've just watched Charlie Brown's Christmas so many times that when Abby was, was uh, reciting it earlier, you were like, I think I hear Linus's voice in the background just kind of as a soundtrack. A lot of us, for a lot of us, this, this story is very familiar And we could run the risk of thinking because it's so familiar that it's somehow unnecessary. But my hope is over the next few minutes that we have here together, as we we look at the angel announcement to the shepherds, we'll see just how necessary this story is to us. Because how God brings peace into the world and who he brings peace into the world through is so necessary for for the world we find ourselves in. The first reason I believe that this is so necessary is because of who's involved in the story. Abby read it, but in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, it says, There were shepherds living out in the fields, uh, taking care of their flocks by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared. Now, if you were one of the first hearers of this gospel a couple thousand years ago, that, that's all you needed. You would have been shocked at this moment. You would have been like, oh my gosh, this is an incredible story. But not for the reason you might think. Not because angels are involved in the story, but because shepherds are involved in the story. What are shepherds doing, doing in a Jesus story? Shepherds were essentially migrant workers. They, they moved across great distances of land in the midbar, the wilderness, lurk, looking for green pastures for their flocks. And so because they were always on the move, always moving from community to community, they were looked on with suspicion. If something came up missing, people would be like, well, it was probably those shepherds that came through town a week ago. So people uh, didn't want to associate really with shepherds. 
They were suspicious people. But beyond that, they were also considered to be unclean, which if you're my seven-year-old son, that's like a badge of honor. Like he loves being kind of dirty. It's like, yes, this is awesome. And he likes to uh, bestow that dirt upon you by like coming in after playing soccer and being like, hi, dad, and kind of wiping it all down the front of you, right? But in that day, being unclean, being dirty, meant something really significant. It meant you couldn't participate in the, the festivals, in the holidays, in the traditions of your people. It was thought that, that dirty people shouldn't come into the temple because that would somehow disrespect God who was holy and other. And so there were certain ceremonial cleansings and, and, and different things that you would have to do to become clean. But the thing is, shepherds couldn't even do that. They couldn't clean themselves enough to be invited into this place where God was thought to uniquely dwell. And so for many shepherds, and honestly, probably like many of us, or at least the people that we do life with, they thought, well, if I can't live up to God's picture of faithfulness, I guess I won't try. And so shepherds were truly outsiders. It would have been shocking that they showed up in this Jesus story. But like all Jewish people, they'd heard the stories of God. They were outsiders, but they still knew the story of God. They'd heard these stories about how God would someday come and set everything right. He would make everything good for everyone so that no one had to feel like an outsider anymore. So even though they were the picture of outsiders, nobodies in their own community, they probably had this faintest sliver of hope that maybe, just maybe, God might do this thing that he'd promised. But by this time in the story, by this angel announcement that we just read that's so familiar to us, the last time people had heard from God through a prophet, which was so common for so long, was 400 years previous. The last prophet, Malachi, said, you who revere my name, this is God speaking through the prophet Malachi, you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. But that was 400 years ago. It had been a long time. The dark night that the shepherds found themselves in was probably a pretty good symbol for how they felt. They want that sun of, of righteousness, of healing, to rise and, 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 and heal the land and heal the people so that no one has to feel like an outsider anymore, but it had been 400 years. So these shepherds likely believed in God, but they probably also believed that his promises were somehow just wishful thinking meant to help you sleep. They weren't really meant to be believed. The more common belief was probably, well, God, if he's there, is is probably gone. He seems disinterested. I don't know, maybe he's incapable of doing what he said he was going to do. So I think it's on us. I think we got to figure this thing out on our own because it doesn't seem like God is going to show up. So the waiting, the long wait, led to questioning whether God was actually going to show up the way he said he would or if he was even capable of fulfilling the promise that he made, whether that promise was trustworthy. And this happens to us all the time. Like I said, Christmas is a big deal at the Abbott household. We have a lot of traditions and we look forward to it. I have three young kids and they, uh, they get excited about, about Christmas. And so that, that anticipation of it all gets us all kind of excited. And uh, my daughter, uh, my middle child, daughter Eden, uh, she came up to me uh, in the days after Thanksgiving and said, uh, hey, are you going to put up Christmas lights this year on the house? Now, for lots of people, that's a totally normal question, right? A child asks their parent, are you going to put up Christmas lights? But for me, it's actually a little bit of a strange question because I've never put lights up on the house. I'm not categorically opposed to lights on the house. I'm just, 
I'm just lazy, right? I just don't really want to put lights up on the house. So I never have one year. I put garland and a bow above the door. And I was like, look, kids. And they were like, that's not what we're talking about at all. That's not it. So Eden asking me uh, would seem like a, a somewhat odd question. But the thing is, we moved into a new house in March. And we're finding out all these interesting little things about the house. The previous owner did all these little special things around the house that we're, that we're kind of figuring out. Well, one of the things we noticed pretty quickly is there were these little clips uh, along the entire frame, uh, right up by the roof line, uh, clearly for Christmas lights. You just clip, 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 right? And so when we moved in, I kind of started to feel this like low-level guilt about, like, oh, man, I'm probably going to have to put lights up because this guy put so much time into it, and that would seem crazy not to. So Eden, I think, caught wind of my guilt, even though I didn't verbalize it, but I think she could read it on me. That's how kids are. And so she was like, I think I got it. This is my moment. So she's like, are you going to put lights up? And I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to put lights up this year. And I would love to say because it's like, you know, Eden asked me and I want to be a good dad and make sure she experiences as much joy in the world as she possibly can. But mostly it was just the guilt thing. And so I was like, yes, I'm going to put them up. And she's like, when are you going to put them up? And uh, I said, Friday. Friday's the day that I will put lights up on the house. And she was like, great. And that was satisfactory. And she moved on. The very next morning, she comes into my room, and she says, uh, hey, Dad, I've got a question for you. And I said, sure, of course, anything, uh, like I do. And she says, uh, she says, hey, what's your day off? And I was like, well, that's an interesting question, uh, but thanks for asking. I have Saturday off, and then sometimes Friday, depending on my workload and all these types of things. She goes, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then I realized, oh, she's doing that thing that, that kids do. They give you, like, a question appetizer. Like, that's not the real question. There's a question coming after that. They were just trying to warm you up to the idea that they're asking a question. So she's like, oh, that's interesting. When are you going to put the lights up? And it was like, you just asked me yesterday. I said Friday I'm going to put the, put the lights up, which I did. I did put the lights up Friday. Somebody came up to me after the 11 o'clock service, and they are like, hey, you never finished the story, man. Did you ever put the lights up? Yes, I put the lights up uh, on Friday. The whole point of that, though, is it wasn't that I didn't make a promise. So it wasn't a lack of promise that led to her questioning. It was the wait. Because that's what waiting does. Waiting leads us to question any promise that we receive. We, we question whether something's actually going to happen or if the person who made the promise is actually trustworthy. It's not the lack of, of a promise it's actually a lack of trust, but I get it because waiting is that hard. And so, in a lot of ways, these shepherds that don't belong in this Jesus story, where outsiders, nobodies, actually start to seem a lot like us. Like maybe you're here today and you feel like an outsider. In some aspect of your life, you feel unheard or unnoticed and you just don't measure up. That's what you feel like walking into the room this evening. And you're just going through your tasks. You're not really expecting anything in your life really to ever change. Even if there's this sliver of hope that it might, honestly, you just think, like, I just get through the next day and the next day and the next day, and this is just how things work. Or maybe you're here and you've been waiting for something for so long you don't really believe God's going to come through. Maybe you've been waiting for that, that call about that job or, or, or to be free from that struggle or for that child to come or for the joy to return. And you've waited so long, you like the idea, but you don't think there's ever really going to be a time in your life where there's enough peace where you can sleep through the night without fear or frustration. So to these shepherds who are actually quite a bit like us, an angel shows up. 
And angels don't show up every day, and so angels have this standard kind of way of engaging with people because they kind of know they're terrifying. And so they always say, uh, like they do, in, like he does in verse 10 here, he said the angel shows up and, and says, uh, hey, don't be afraid. I know I have that effect on people, but uh, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause a joy never before seen in this world. And I can imagine the shepherds at this moment saying, good news for me, an outsider? Like, you showed up for me so that I could get good news? That's incredible. Angels, no, 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 more, more than that. Good news for my whole family? Yeah, 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 absolutely, but, but more. Oh, I get it, good news for God's chosen people, the clean ones, those ones that, that get to go into the temple, those promised people that are specially a part of God's plan to redeem the world. I get it, good news for Israel, yes, but more. Good news of great joy for all people. A baby's been born. Now at that news, you might think the shepherds were like, okay, well, um, I hate to break it to you, angel, but uh, that's more like okay news. Like it's not bad news, certainly, but it's kind of okay news. It doesn't really have a lot of impact on what I'm doing out here in the field right now, right? Like it doesn't, it's not, it, it kind of, you know, it's just it seems like okay news to me. It doesn't have a lot to do with me. Maybe, maybe you think the same thing. Maybe we feel this way, right? Jesus being born, it's kind of okay news. I mean, it was enough for me to like put nice clothes on and come to church on Christmas Eve. Like that's, it's kind of okay news, but it doesn't have a lot to do with my day-to-day -day life. But here's the thing. The baby being born, the Savior come to us, means something very, very important. That God is not a disinterested third party in creation. Look, if our greatest need had been information, God would have said, here's all the books. It's all you need. If our greatest need had been money, God would have said, here's all the stuff you could ever want. If our greatest need had been pleasure, he would have said, here's all the entertainment you could ever have. But God recognized our greatest need was peace. And not the type of peace that comes from God getting on board with our agenda or agreeing to our timeline. The type of peace that comes from saying, like, look, relationships need to be restored here. So God comes all the way to us, relationships between us and God and, and us and each other. That's our greatest need, peace. And because peace never comes into the world on accident, peace only comes into the world on purpose, God says, I'll, I'll come the whole way. I'll show up. He says, I'll show up so that way you can understand the message. I'll become a living love letter to the world. That, that is what the Bible is all about. Not just this story, every part of every story. That's what the whole story is about. God saying, I love you too much to let the distance stand between us. Your greatest need is peace, so I'll bring it. And a lot of us aren't really familiar with that type of love. We can't fathom that type of, of love, a love that comes after us that meets us where we are. I mean, we all want it, right? Like, if I, even if you've never experienced it before, if I said, what type of relationships do you want in your life? You would all say, well, and I would say as well, well, I want the type of relationships where, where people show up for me, where they sacrifice for me, where they struggle with me, where, where I know if I'm not at my best, they won't walk out on me. Those are the types of relationships that I want. And it's hard for us to imagine anyone loving us that way from time to time, let alone the creator of the world. But Christmas, Christmas reminds us that he does love us that much. 
The child being, being born is good news of great joy for all people because it means God is very, very interested in you. As the Scottish essayist Thomas Carlyle once said, no lie can live forever. And that message that says, you know what, you only matter if you check the right boxes, if you act the right way, if you come from the right place, if you have enough in your bank account, if you have the right type of job, if you make all the right parenting decisions, if you never look disheveled, if you never look sad, if you never feel sad, that's when you're okay. That message is proved untrue when the skies broke open and the angels proclaimed peace to shepherds. I don't know what the world has told you about yourself today or, or this year, but you are loved. You matter. That's the significance of Christmas. The angel says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And here's how to know what you're looking for. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, and he's going to be lying in a place where animals normally eat. And then this angel is joined by a, a, a heavenly angel army choir, and because there are moments in the Bible that feel uncomfortably close to a musical, they break out in song. And they sing this song about how uh, the, there's going to be uh, uh, this great joy coming into the world. And that joy, the Savior being born, has an outcome. The outcome will be peace. What Luke is telling us here when he's recording this event is he's saying that Jesus being born in a manger with no pomp, no circumstance, no overt display of power is exactly how God chose to break in after what seemed like an impossibly long silence with peace. And again, not that type of peace that springs from God getting on board with your agenda or joining your timeline, the type of peace that comes from knowing you matter and knowing everyone else does as well. That type of peace reshapes the world. And it shatters any poor imitation of peace that we can build on our own. As Martin Luther King Jr. said on Christmas Eve in 1967 at Ebenezer Baptist Church, peace on earth and goodwill toward men should no longer be dismissed as a kind of pious dream by some utopian hoper. Because Jesus came up came and he pierced the darkness. Jesus came to say the wait's over. So if that's true, if Jesus' coming means we matter, the wait is over, peace has come into this world, if that's true, how do we respond? Well, Luke continues in verse 15, when the angels left them and went to heaven, shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem, let's see this thing that has happened which the angels have told us about, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, and when they saw him, they spread the word concerning him. I love that. They spread the word concerning him, what they had been told and what they'd seen about this child. And everyone is amazed by what they told. We don't think about this all that often because, again, we're familiar with the story. But you know what the shepherds could have done? Skies could have opened. Angels appear. Angel choir. Peace on earth. They could have said, thanks for showing up, but... I think we're okay right here. I mean, life isn't all we want it to be, certainly, but I think we'll just stay here where we belong. This is how it is for people like us. We just get in our lane and we stay where we belong. They could have resigned themselves to some low-level disappointment about their, their life. 
Because the thing is, hope actually is more risky than just resigning yourself to your situation. They could have said, angels, thanks for showing up, but this is kind of how things are. I think we'll just kind of move along how we're supposed to. Next town, next place. We'll just keep being outsiders because that's how it is for people like us. They could have been at peace with their lack of peace. But instead, they were moved by the truth. See, the shepherds weren't allowed to experience the unique presence of God in the temple. But in that moment, they believed, you know what? There is nothing standing in the way of us seeing the fullness of God in Jesus. So they moved toward him. So significant. And the angels, this is a detail that's missed. The angels actually never told them to go anywhere. They gave them some details about Jesus. Essentially what they were saying is, hey, if you find out that it's the right thing to do to move toward him, here's how you'll know you found him when you get there. But they didn't tell the shepherds, hey, you should go see. No, the truth is what moved them. See, they believed that God might be up to something big in the world, and it just might possibly include them. And so they went. And they got to see Jesus, and they got to experience the fullness of God, and they got to be tellers and bringers of that good news to the world. That's the thing about the truth. The truth is not a mandate but it should be a catalyst. For some of us here, uh, if somebody would have said to you six months ago, they, they would have said, hey, you're going to be at a, at a service, a church service on Christmas Eve. You'd have been like, not me, but you're here. And it's quite possible that you don't have enough of the type of information you need to, to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow him. I'm going to trust him as my savior and, and figure out all that that means after that. But, but here's what I would ask of you. Keep moving toward the truth. Just keep moving toward the truth because at the end of the day, the most important questions that any of us will ever answer, Christian, non-Christian, that any of us will answer are these. Is it true that peace is what I need most in this world? Is it true that peace is what I need most? And if it is, is it true that Jesus is the one that came to bring it? Because if the answer to those two questions is yes, then we should be moved by that truth. It has to matter. The truth isn't a mandate, but it should be a catalyst. Three years ago on Christmas, uh, I, sp I spent uh, Christmas with, with my wife uh, in Haiti. And that wasn't part of our plan for the year, but that's how things worked out. We were in the process of adopting our youngest son, Joe Slee, uh, the seven-year-old with the dirt that I mentioned earlier. And, um, and, and they invited us to, uh, to meet him over Christmas uh, three years ago. And so we went down and flew into Port-au-Prince, and it's a three-hour uh, drive from the airport in Port-au-Prince up the mountain to the orphanage where Joe Slee uh, was living at the time. And so by the time we got up to uh, the, the compound there, it was really late at night, and, and the power was, was out, and so it was, it was pitch dark, and the kids were already asleep. And so uh, we resisted the urge to, to peek in and, and try and see him, and that was really hard, so we went to sleep. But we had to leave early the next morning to go back down to Port-au-Prince because we had an embassy appointment. And so we were nervous we were going to be in Haiti to meet our son for more than 24 hours and not have actually had the chance to meet him. And so, uh, so early in the morning, it was still dark outside, maybe the sun was just starting to come up, we said, well, let's just peek in. Maybe some of the kids are awake, maybe he's awake, we'll just take a chance. And so... 
he was staying in this, in this dorm uh, but with about 50 other kids and bunk beds, sometimes two and three kids to a bed. And we peek in, and it's just dark. We can't really see anything. We hear some rustling over in the corner. And then all of a sudden, we hear this, this little voice. Uh, Rose Angelina, I think is who it was. Um, she, it says, Josely, Mama, Papa. Josely, Mama, Papa. The, the, this little girl had recognized our faces from the pictures that we sent, and they were up on Josely's bed. And so, Josely, Mama, Papa. And then all of a sudden, other kids start to get involved. Josely, Mama, Papa. And this choir starts to rise. Josely, Mama, Papa. And this like kind of ruckus party starts to break out, and everybody's kind of like yelling. We're like, man, this is incredible. And, and so, we were so pumped. And then, all of the sudden, out of nowhere, and I mean out of nowhere, comes full sprint, full speed ahead, this beautiful little boy just running, just trucking, which is actually how he does everything in life. He's just running all the time. Never a thought like what happens when he gets to his destination, always just running, right? So he takes off running, and and we're standing just outside the door, maybe two or three steps down the door, and he just takes off running full speed, never slows down, and just leaps through the door, grabs Abby by the neck, and just holds on tight. That's how we met our son. Everything just stopped. We didn't expect him to, to run toward us like that. I mean, you never know how a child's going to respond to that type of meeting, and we just didn't expect it. So why do you do that? Why do you run toward us? Well, well, partly, like I told you, he's just running all the time, right? So we may have just been in his way. Um, but I think, I think the real answer, at least in part, is because whatever part of that lie that he believed, that we talked about earlier, that lie that says you don't matter, that started to have some serious holes in it. Because we made it. We were standing right there in front of him. And that, honestly, that could have been enough. He could have said, oh my gosh, that, that lie is being shattered in my life. I know the truth that I actually do matter because these, these people that I don't know have, have loved me and they've, they've shown up, right? That could have been enough. But instead, our son said, I need to move toward that truth. And so he did. He moved toward, he ran toward, he leapt toward that truth that he is loved and that that love never wants to let him go. The truth never makes anyone do anything, but it always invites us to do something. The truth doesn't make you believe that you're loved, but it always invites you to. The truth never makes you pursue restoration in your family, seek humility in your workplace, Notice the needy. Try to get help and be honest about that thing that is tearing you apart and tearing your family apart. The truth doesn't make you do those things, but it always invites you to. And the truth doesn't make you seek peace or be a teller of that story of peace or live a life of peace, but the truth always invites us to. See, when God wanted to get the word out about the Savior his son, Jesus, being born to be the bringer of peace to the world. He didn't go to the elite or the established or the powerful. Shepherds got the word. Why is that? Well, because God has this incredible way of reminding people who mistakenly believe that they're nobodies, that they're actually somebodies. God invited shepherds to come see, and they moved toward the truth, and then they wanted to share. And that first declaration of, of, of Jesus being born, that peace wasn't just an ideal that was kept up in heaven, that it was actually coming on earth as it is in heaven. That first declaration was cosmic. Skies open up, angels appear. But every other declaration after that has been very common. 
common people like you and me telling the story of that truth. Now we're invited to be bringers. We're invited to be tellers. We get to be people who, who point to Jesus, who tell that story, who live in a way that show that the story is true. We get to be people who also at the same time seek to, to undo anything antithetical to that truth of peace in our world, things like hatred, discrimination, poverty, isolation, despair, violence against each other, we get to seek to undo those things because they're antithetical to the truth of peace. And all the while, we hold on to the privilege we have to love in a world that doesn't really expect us to. The truth never makes anyone do anything, but the truth always invites us to do something. So maybe what comes next is being open to the idea that God's up to something big in the world, that he hasn't left, and that maybe you are supposed to be a part of that with him. Maybe what comes next for you is being willing to trust God because of who he is, even in the waiting. Remembering that God is trustworthy even if you disagree with his timeline because it's possible that the light of dawn is just moments away. And hopefully for all of us, what comes next is that we'll be people who actively pursue telling the story of peace and living a life that brings peace on earth alongside the one who came to bring peace. The challenge for us, the invitation for us is to be people moved by the truth. Because peace never comes into the world on accident. Peace only comes into the world on purpose. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that Christmas is a reminder of the most important thing, a reminder of what your word is about, what, what, what you are about. Love. A love that comes after us not when we're perfect, but all the time. I pray that as we receive that truth, it wouldn't just be something that's kept for ourselves because the world outside this room desperately needs to know this truth and they need to see it lived out. I pray that you would give us opportunities to be bringers of peace alongside you. I pray that this story even though very familiar, would always to us be very necessary. Because being loved, no matter where you are, is always a necessary story. I pray that you would allow us to be conduits of your grace in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.